Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend, the UFC heads to Raleigh, North Carolina for an exciting and somewhat under-the-radar card between Curtis Razorblades and Junior Dos Santos. But of course, as those of you who frequent the show know, we will not be talking about that main event whatsoever or any of the fights on the main card. And for those of you who are new to the show and asking yourself, why exactly is that? The answer is quite simple. The answer is because we here at the Prelim Primer believe that there is a lot of value in the undercard. There's a lot of names that you don't know there. And and let's be honest, you probably have a bunch of places you go for breakdowns of the main card already. So we're here to provide you with the stuff that you don't already get. And we also think that there's a lot of money to be won, whether you're gambling or playing daily fantasy sports, when you're looking at the prelim card. But of course, before we get to the prelim portion of the card, I do have to let you know really quickly that the prelim primer is brought to you exclusively by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the jiu-jitsu or martial arts enthusiast. While it started as a jiu-jitsu app, it now recognizes over 35 different martial arts. So whether you're trying judo or sambo, it doesn't really matter. You can track your training on this app. Here's how it works. First, you go to whatever app store you use, you download the Maroon Social app. Then you can set up your profile with your name, your instructor, your belt level, and maybe where you train as well. And the cool thing about that is from there on, you can check out all of your friends, meet all of your friends, and start logging your training sessions. And we'll talk a little bit more about logging your training sessions in between a few rounds later on in the show. But first, definitely make sure you hit pause on this button right now and go check out Maroon Social. Now, I said before, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. And today, I'm being joined by another savvy co-host joining me from the newly christened Fixed Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben. I've got Kurt Chase Patrick. Kurt, thanks for joining me. Hey, man. Thanks again, as always, for having me on. Awesome. So this one's a, a kind of a sneaky good card here. So we got seven fights that we need to get through in our usual three rounds. So obviously, uh, we got two fights per round, except for the last one. We'll have three. But let's get started with the first round. First, I got to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Arnold Allen versus Nick Lentz. So Arnold Allen was originally supposed to fight Josh Emmett. Nick Lentz originally supposed to fight Nad Naramani. Uh, Allen comes into this fight 6-0 in the UFC. Most recently, he took a decision over Gil Melendez. Nick Lentz is 2-1 in his last three after having a two-fight win streak, including wins over Gray Maynard and Scott Holtzman. He recently lost to Charles Oliveira. So like I said before... Arnold's supposed to fight Emmett. Lenz supposed to fight Naramani. Who's had to deal with more of a big change in style with these changes? Um, I would go with Arnold Allen. I think Josh Emmett, obviously not think, is one of the best uh, featherweights in the world. Um, not saying Nick Lenz is a bad fighter, but, uh, you know, Arnold Allen has kind of taken a step back. And also, uh, Nick Lenz is more of a grinder than Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's got some pretty uh, nice striking, whereas Nick Lenz is, you know, a grinder. He likes to take you down, beat you up. Um, so I would say Arnold Allen. Yeah, and, and that does seem like a very tricky change for him, right? Like he goes from Josh Emmett, who, you know, is – there's a high reward to beating Josh Emmett. There's a low reward to beating Nick Lenz. There's lots of punching from Josh Emmett. There's probably mostly grappling from Nick Lenz. But here's the question. Is Nick Lentz's grappling good enough to give Arnold Allen trouble? I don't think so, man. I'm very high on Arnold Allen. Um, you know, broke my heart last fight. 
when he beat up Gilbert Melendez. Uh, but yeah, I think Arnold Allen's one of the best prospects out there right now. He's a super stud, really good. Um, Nick Lentz, great grappler, but, uh, you know, that's kind of his only way to win where I think Allen has many more ways to win. I think, uh, I think Allen wins this one big, man. Me, me too, but I'm interested to see how he deals with Nick Lentz's grappling because he hasn't really fought anybody who could grapple him like Nick Lentz, or at least not that's coming to my mind immediately. How, how do you think he does with that aspect of the game? Are we going to see him concede a takedown or two here? I think he concedes a takedown or two, but he's a young athletic kid. I think he's going to be able to, you know, pop back up. And especially the longer the fight goes, the more he puts his hands on Nick Lentz. And especially if, you know, early on he is making Lentz burn his arms, wear himself out, trying to get takedowns, I think – you know, early, I think Lentz is going to be able to put him on his back, possibly. But the longer the fight goes, the more, you know, it favors Allen. I think Lentz's arm is going to be gassed out. He's going to be tired trying to hold this kid down. Um, I don't think Lentz is going to be able to put much uh, together on the mat. I, I kind of agree with you here. So I'm going to take Arnold Allen as well. How do you have got Arnold Allen winning this one? I got Arnold Allen by third round stoppage. I think he, like I kind of just said, I think Lentz starts to fade. Arnold uh, hurts him in the third, knocks him down, gets him out of there. I'll go Arnold Allen, third round TKO. All right, and I'm going to go with the same thing. I think late second, early third round, I think Lenz starts to wear, and I think he lights him up on the feet and probably finishes him there. Uh, and that's going to take me to a fight that I think is probably my favorite on the undercard, and that's Brett Johns versus Tony Gravely. Brett Johns is 3-2 and two in the UFC. He was 3-0 and oh to start his UFC career, and then he lost to Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz, both by decision. And he hasn't fought since August of 2018. But he's making his return here against Tony Gravely, who is and f- or 19-5 in his career, but is making his UFC debut after beating Ray Rodriguez back at the Contender Series in August. So... On the regional scene, it seems like Gravely almost exclusively gets the job done on the mats, whether it's with ground and pound, rear naked chokes, you know, whatever he needs to do on the mat, he gets it done there. Should he even try that with a guy who grapples like Brett Johns, though? Also, you know, he gets it done on the mat, but he's also been done in on the mat, too. I think out of his five losses, I want to say like three are by submission. And Brett Johns is a really, really tricky submission uh, submission fighter. Um, and he's also tough as nails. Uh you know, I want to say Gravely's the more explosive guy on the feet. Um, I want to say he's going to try to keep it on the feet in respect to Brett John's ground game, but you never know. I, I'm interested to see them tangle on the ground because I think Gravely is a great grappler, and I know John uh, Brett John's is a great grappler. I'd like to see them tangle on the ground. I would love to see him tangle on the ground, too. And you're right, too. A lot of his losses are by submission, too. But but if you look at the people who he's lost to by submission, it, it's a pretty decent list of names, too, right? Like, he's lost to Patchy Mix, who we've seen it doing amazing in Bellator. He lost to Manny Bermudez, who is mammoth for that weight class, as we've seen, and, and now is no longer with the company, but mostly due to weight issues. And Mirab Davashvili, like, it, the list of fighters that he's lost to are really impressive. But you're right. Johns is kind of a different animal in that he is really crafty, like a lot of the guys I'm mentioning. Do you think he's crafty enough, though, to give him trouble off the bottom? Dude, that's a good question. Um, I think he is. I think I think Brett Johns has a really – I guess we haven't seen too, too much, you know, at least in the UFC, of uh, the craftiness off the bottom. But, uh, yeah, I think he is. I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to necessarily surprise Gravely with like a triangle or an armbar, but maybe he can sweep him, get on top, and work some magic. Uh, I'm really interested in it, man. Like you were saying, I mean, these two guys uh, at the bottom of the undercard with all this experience, pretty surprising, but I love it. 
Yeah, I, I love it too. And, and I, I'm with you. I, I don't know if he'll be able to surprise him with an uh, armbar or a triangle. But, like, at the same time, like, it's interesting to think about it. I mean, he caught Joe Soto. So, I, I guess we're at the end of the first round here. So, I, I got to ask you, who do you like here and how do you like him? I am going Brett Johns. I'm going to go Brett Johns by guillotine mid-first round. Nice. I like that pick. But I'm going to go completely opposite. I like Tony Gravely here. I like him probably by ground and pound stoppage just because I think his wrestling is going to be a little bit too much for Brett Johns. And that's going to do it for the end of the first round. We're actually going to move on to the second round after a brief mention from our sponsors. All right, guys, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about how to get your Maroon Social profile all set up. Now that you've done that, you've got to know about logging your sessions because after each and every session I do, and I do jujitsu, you can do whatever martial arts you like. I like to log my sessions because not only does it keep me on top of making sure that I'm training regularly, I like to see the little dots on the calendar that they give me, but also I like to put my notes in there because maybe, you know, there was a little modification on a triangle choke. I wanted to switch my hips a little bit more this way or that way on a takedown that I don't typically practice. So no matter what it is, it's got a space for my notes in there so I can go back to my notes and make sure that I remember those things when I go to train them again. And their their technique tagging feature is really awesome because it allows me to go back to all the different times where I've tagged that previous technique. So check out that feature now that you got your profile set up using Maroon Social. Now, back for round number two. All right, and we are back with the second round. I'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Justine Kish versus Lucy Pudilova. So Justine Kish is coming off two losses in a row, and she has not won since 2016. She's been out two full years with a full knee reconstruction. And Lucy Pudilova, meanwhile, is on a three-fight losing streak with losses to Irene Aldana, Liz Carmouche, and the younger of the Shevchenko sisters. So uh, I, I got to ask about Justine Kish and that huge layoff. How worried are you based off of how she typically fights and the fact that we know now she's got a brand new knee? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually experiencing some uh, a knee injury myself right now. It's not easy to deal with. I haven't had surgery yet, but I can definitely tell you it affects uh, the way you train. And I'm sure the way you fight, I've had shoulder injuries with surgery. I know it definitely affects you. Um, you know, she's had a long layoff and that, you know, that's also kind of working against her as well. Um, and Pudilova is a stud. I mean, she's, she is an all action fighter. It's not going to be a fight where she can really, you know, kind of ease her way back in for their first round or anything. So I'd be pretty concerned if I was Kish in her corner. Um, but you know, I mean, she's a fighter, she's a professional, so she knows what she's doing taking this fight and the risks involved. Yeah. And I think too, the fact that she, she had the surgery, she gave herself time to heal is good, right? Like it, it seems like her knee probably won't be an issue. It's not like she's going to get kicked and crumble or anything like that. But I do worry about, yeah, there's been two years away. She was the type of fighter who like, you know, pushes forward. And, and here, is she going to be able to do that? I, I don't think so. Lucy Pudilova doesn't seem to, to back off very much. You know, you think about that fight with Lena Landsberg, man, that, that fight was absolute dynamite. So, uh, I'm a little bit worried about Kish getting into a physical battle after having that much ring rust. Uh, who you got in this one? I got Pudilova here. I think uh, I think the long layoff, the style matchup. Um, and, you know, I think for both of these ladies, they're both, you know, they have their backs against the wall. I think either one of them with a loss here is probably getting their walking papers. 
Um, all that said, I think Pudelova, just the, you know, the attacking style, the pressure forward, you know, the knee injury, the layoff, I think it all works against Kish. I got Pudelova here by a pretty dominant decision. I'm going to go with you, too. I got Lucy Pudelova in this one. And, and for another reason, too, we remember that Pudelova is dropping down from Bantamweight after being a Bantamweight for most of her life. Kish coming up from Strawweight after being a Strawweight for most of her life. So there's that physicality barrier there, too, in addition to the long layoff. I'm going to take Pudelova. And speaking of long layoffs, we're going to talk next about Sarah McMahon versus Lena Landsberg. So McMahon last won in February of 2017. Of course, that's partially because the last time she fought was February of 2018 when she had back-to-back losses to Marianne Renault and Ketlin Vieta. And then she took two years off as part of uh, having her second child. Lena Landsberg, meanwhile, went 2-0 in 2019 with decision wins over Tona Evinger and a really impressive win over Macy Chiasson. So, obviously, McMahon has been away from the game for a very different reason than Justine Kish. But at the same time, like, how do you predict what she looks like here? Man, I can't really predict. If you were going to ask me, you know, what, five, six, seven years ago where Sarah McMahon would be in 2020, you might say, uh, you know, world champion or coming off a world title reign. I mean, she had everything going for her into that Ronda Rousey fight. You know, she gets stopped in what, you know, uh, what was it, a minute, two minutes tops? You know, I was so looking forward to that fight. And then she's never really, you know, gotten the the uh, train back on the tracks fully. I don't really know what to – I mean, I guess I do, right? Because Sarah McMahon's never really changed up her game too much. You know, she's got a great wrestling pedigree. She's she's a grappler. She's going to be looking um, to get the fight to the grounds, especially against a great striker like Lena Landsberg. Uh, so I don't think the game plan is going to change. I just don't know how well she's going to be able to implement it now. You know, she's older. She's had the layoff. She had a second kid. Um yeah, I'm not too sure what to expect right now from uh, Sarah McMahon at this point. Yeah, and even going back to her last fights before she took the layoff, right, her takedown game wasn't what it used to be there either. You know, like if you look at the Marion Renault fight, she, she only got two of like the like five or six takedowns she attempted. So no, knowing that she was already having trouble hitting the takedown, and granted Lena Landsberg maybe a little bit easier to take down than Renault. Uh, I, I just don't like the idea of her trying to get Landsberg down a hundred times while eating elbows in a clinch, you know, or up against the cage or something like that. So uh, I'm worried about it for sure. Uh, but we've reached that point of the round where we're going to need a prediction on this one. Who do you got and how do you got him? Ah, uh, man, I'm going to go against my better judgment. I'm actually going to take Sarah McMahon here. I feel like Lena Landsberg's kind of got everything going for her, but you know what? I was high on Sarah McMahon. She's had some trouble. She's going to be – I'm going to assume she's going to be refreshed. I think she gets some takedowns. I think she finishes her with a rear naked choke. Landsberg kind of gives her back up in a scramble. McMahon jumps on it. I'm going Sarah McMahon, second round rear naked choke. I like the bold prediction, but I'm going with Lena Landsberg. I'm going to take her by decision here. I, I just think uh, the takedowns might be there once in a while, but I don't think she'll be able to keep her down long enough. Worried about the layoff, obviously, and things like that. Um, and hey, Lena Landsberg is an absolute violence monster. So she um, is. I, I'm gonna take. Uh, what, what's her nickname too? Isn't it like the Violence Queen or yeah, the, something like the, that? The or Elbow Queen. Elbow Queen. Yeah. yeah, something something with violence and elbows. You, you, you gotta yeah. love. You gotta love that. So I'm gonna take Lena Landsberg, and that's gonna do it for the end of our second round. We're gonna be right back with round number three. All right, guys, we talked a little bit about making sure that you are logging your sessions in. We talked about setting up your profile. Now I want to talk to you guys a little bit about making sure you get your friends involved with Maroon Social because Maroon Social 
is a social media app. You want to make sure that you're using it with your friends. And some of the cool features on there is that you can tag your friends. So when you're working out and at the gym, you know, you had a really great training session with a couple of your, your buddies, you realize that other buddy has not made it to the gym, tag that bastard and get him back into the gym. The other cool thing is too, is you can comment on other people's training sessions. You know, for instance, my other podcast co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte, has moved away from me. We don't train at the same gym anymore. So when I see that he's done a training session and maybe he's worked a move that I wanna know more about, I can comment directly on there, he can respond to me, and we can have a little dialogue on there. You don't have to necessarily bring it up in text message or call the guy. It's all right there, right next to all the stuff that you want. It's a great way to make sure you're encouraging yourself and your friends to get back into the gym. Now, let's get us back to round number three. All right, we are back with round number three. Uh, obviously, we got three fights to talk about in this round, so they will be a little quicker, but we're still gonna put that same five minutes on the clock. And we're gonna start the round by talking about Herbert Burns versus Nate Landwehr. So Herbert Burns, eight and two, or nine and two rather, making his UFC debut. He's coming off of triangling Derek Meaner on the Contender Series. Landwehr, 13 and two, making his UFC debut. He's got three straight title victories at 145 pounds back in M1 over in Russia. For me, this is such a fun style clash of debuting fighters. Burns, who, you know, like his brother, is kind of known for his submission game and, and being pretty good on the feet. Landwehr throws absolute bombs nonstop, has good ground and pound. Do you expect this to hit the mat? And if so, what the hell does that look like? I do expect this to hit the mat. You know, I think I think Burns, his style is similar to his brother's, although I don't think his striking is as refined as his brother's. Um, I think his win condition is definitely on the max. Like you said, Landwehr... Uh, it's got big power, throws bombs. Um, you know, I just don't know if Gilbert is going to be able to find the takedowns enough. You know, I could see a scenario where possibly he gets hurt or even tries to pull guard because um, he does have a really nice slick ground game. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble getting much success off in this fight. I think Landwehr is going to be able to dominate on the feet, stay out of harm's way on the mat and uh, kind of cruise in this one. Yeah, and, and all of the high-level competition Landwehr has had over in M1 gives me faith that he's not going to get subbed from the bottom or, or even if, if Burns does get a little top time. So I'm going Landwehr too, and uh, how do you like him winning this one? I like him by decision, but I would not be surprised if he does uh, get Burns out of there. Burns is a pretty durable, tough guy, but uh, I think this is all Landwehr here. Yeah, I'm going to take Landwehr, and I'm going to take him by second-round TKO because I think he probably stuns him on the feet and finishes it up. And that brings us to our next fight, which is Montel Quick Jackson versus Felipe Colares. Jackson, 2-1 and one in the UFC. He lost in his debut to Ricky Simon, but followed that up with uh, beating Brian Kelleher by Darius Choke and beating Andre Sukumta by decision. Colares, 1-1 one one in the UFC. He lost to Geraldo De Freitas in his debut and then took a split decision victory over Domingo Pilarte. Draw me up a game plan real quick where Kolaris can actually deal with the physicality of Montel Jackson. You know, Kolaris is a – and I guess, you know, I don't know if this is – this benefits him in this fight, but he's a wild man kind of. You know, he's got very – he likes to throw his hands. He doesn't mind getting hit. He does have a sneaky ground game both on top and the bottom. Um, I think Jackson has better wrestling. I think for Kolaris – it would be to to land good shots, kind of stay patient, stick behind his jab, not get too crazy, not get caught up in the moment, and uh, go from there, see where it takes him. I think he needs to stay off of his back, by the way, though. 
Yeah, and I I totally agree with you there too because right like it, it, we know Montel Jackson to be a good wrestler, right? He he dominated uh, Brian Kelleher on the mat, and here we are talking about somebody like Kolaris who's got. Uh, he gave up six takedowns to Geraldo De Freitas, and he gave up two to Domingo Pilarte in in a split decision win. So like, I, I worry about that badly, right? Like he's got pretty brutal takedown defense. Uh, so I think this is an easy one for Montel Jackson. How do you got him winning? If that's who you do have winning, I do have him winning. I have him winning by decision, but I think this fight has all the makings for possibly one of the best fights on the card. Uh, I think both these guys are high energy. I like Kolaris' style. I like Jackson's style. Um, I got Jackson winning the fight, but I think even on the mat, I think there's there's high possibility for good scrambles on the feet. It's going to be fun, but I got Jackson by decision. Interesting. So I, I, I've got Jackson here. I think he finishes him probably in the first round as soon as he gets him down because I, I do think he's a talented finisher. Um, you're a little bit higher on Kolaris than I am, but you know I do think you're right. He's exciting, but that, that wild man status is sort of going to cost him. And that brings us to our last fight, which is Bevan Lewis versus Daquan Townsend. So Lewis, 0-2 in the UFC. He lost to Uriah Hall by KO and then a decision to Darren the Dentist Stewart. Townsend, 0-1 in the UFC. He lost at light heavyweight in his debut to Dolce Lugiambula. Uh, obviously, both of these guys only have losses here to analyze. Is there something that you saw in either of them, in either any of their losses, uh, that give you any positive outlook on what they look like in the UFC? Hey, man, plus one for saying that name, by the way. That was flawless. <laughs> um, you know, Bevan Lewis, his two losses, I think, were to higher-level fighters, Darren Stewart and Uriah Hall. Obviously, Uriah Hall has been in there with just about everyone in that middleweight division. Um, I think they both have kind of the similar styles. You know, they both like to stand and bang. Townsend is a rangier striker. He has some uh, interesting, you know, highlights out there. If, you, if you've watched him, I think he has a spinning wheel kick KO somewhere in there. Um, you know, I, I think it's gonna be a fun fight. I think it's gonna be a striking battle. I'm not, you know, too, you know, swayed one way or the other with these guys. I think they're both fighting for their jobs again, kind of like we mentioned with one of the other fights on the card. Um, you know, so I think it's gonna be fun. I think they're gonna both come out there aggressive, stand and bang on the feet and it uh, should be a good one. Absolutely. And, and one of the stats I'll throw at you on this one too, is that Bevan Lewis in that Uriah Hall fight was actually outstriking him into the third round. He had landed almost twice as many shots as Uriah Hall at that point in time. So, like, he, he's got great output. And, and whether or not those strikes were doing more damage to Hall is, is sort of up to your interpretation. But, you know, like, the fact that he was landing more shots than Uriah Hall is a good sign. You're right. Townsend has definitely got the more exciting striking. So it's kind of back and forth. Do you like the guy who's got good output and has been knocked out by a flashy striker? Or do you like the flashy striker? I like the I like the guy that's been knocked out by the flashy strike. I'm going Bevan Lewis here. All right, and how do you got him winning? I got him winning by knockout himself. I'm going to take Bevan Lewis uh, second-round knockout. I haven't picked a lot of finishes, I don't think, on this card yet. Eh, maybe I did, but I'm going Bevan Lewis second-round knockout. I think it's going to be a banger while it lasts. All right, and I'm going to go with the same thing, except for I'm going to take him in the first round. I like Bevan Lewis by early knockout here because I think he's got all of the makings of kind of an exciting fighter who could stick around in this division. You know, Darren Stewart and Uriah Hall are tough first losses. So it's good to see him get somebody a little bit more his speed to start. And that's going to do it for the end of the third round. Once again, I want to thank you, Kurt Chase Patrick, for stopping on by and helping us out with these picks. It's always a pleasure, man. I can't wait to watch the fights this weekend.